Well, hello, and welcome back to another episode of TWIM This Week in Mormons. Today is March 4, 2023, and I am here with my good friend Emily to talk about the news. Emily, would you introduce yourself to us? Sure. Uh, I am a BIC Mormon. (laughs) You know what that sounds for? I do. Born in the Covenant. Okay. Born in Covenant, yeah. So... I'm, uh, I'm my, a convert, but I still know some things. <laughs> okay. Oh, you probably know more than most BICs. No, whatever. But, well, yeah. Just just take it graciously. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, you, yeah, and I, I work in the legal field. I work, uh, mm-hmm. I'm a paralegal. I work for corporate lawyers. I have mm-hmm. a, a music degree. Yes. So, yeah. And how does that relate? You, well, it relates that I needed a job. <laughs> so so I learned how to be a paralegal. So I could support, yeah. as we musicians say, we have to work to support our habit. <laughs> Can you talk about where you are active in music? Um. I, I am in a certain large uh, church-sponsored musical organization out of Salt Lake. That that most people probably see at least two times a year during conference. <laughs> right, right. They can yeah. see it every they Sunday can. morning at 9.30 Mountain Time. Yep. So I love I, I'm to... In the- you are in that organization. I love to watch and try and find you in the organization. Yeah. And then they don't, they don't find me very often. I know. You I, hide I, up I'm in that tall. corner. Yeah. They put me yeah. up there with all the tall, ugly women. Oh, please. Well, I am <laughs> delighted that you get to join us. My name is Jennifer Roach. I have had the honor and privilege of hosting this show a couple of times. You can also find me hosting a show for FAIR, where we look at the Come Follow Me um, verses for the week and try and pick out some questions that evangelicals would be asking about our faith based on those questions. And I give it my best shot to answer the question in roughly 20 minutes or less, sometimes a little more. We have, we have a lot of news to talk about this week. I know, I know. I, I sent you that list of things that I thought about, and um, it, I was like, we can't possibly talk about all of that stuff. So I'm glad that you were the decision maker. Well, let's start with um, story number one. You want to introduce that one for us? Uh, Roots Tech. You know, um, actually, Sean Austin, uh, he's the guy that played Rudy. Mm-hmm. And other boomers and Gen Xers would know that movie. Such a, <laughs> such right. a great movie. If you haven't seen it, go see it. But real and really inspiring. I think I saw it at BYU. Anyway, he was also mm-hmm. Sam in the uh, Lord of the Rings. And they, and they're, they are talking. He is presenting. I think he did yesterday. Started yesterday. Nice. I did not watch and it. I know. 
I think that you are the one who pointed out to me that um, someone from the royal family of the UAE is also speaking or is there. What do you what do you know? Yeah, that's all I know. I have a, you can go on their website. You can make yourself a little playlist of the classes that you want to listen to after the fact. So I have myself eight or ten little classes I need to listen to. So it's pretty handy. I think I'll do that because I listen. That's the only place I really listen to things is in my car. Right. And I have a little bit of a commute to work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah I'm yeah, i really interested in what the the um, guy from the UAE, mm-hmm. what he has to say. The royal family. I think we'll move on to our story number two. I ran across an article um a piece of research that actually came out last year, but the article on it was has just come out. Um, two non-LDS researchers um, wanted to look at the question of how religion and IQ intersect. So it's been known for a long time that IQ in Western countries is declining. It, the, the, we're, we're, we've been going down for more than 100 years. And the theory there, the theory there is that um, in general, low IQ people marry other low IQ people and they have more children than the high IQ people who marry other high IQ people. They have less children. So overall, IQ has been trending down for Western countries. And another effect that has long been known is that people who are religiously affiliated tend to have a lower IQ overall as a group. So this this pair of researchers wanted to look and see like what actually is like what actually is going on here. Does religion um, make this trend worse? Is it is it keeping it from going sliding too far down? They 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 have questions. So they start doing this research. So you would think based on that that religious people would be lower IQ. That is the, that is the, yep, that is the projected outcome of that. And as it turns out, they find every single religious group um, follows that trend. They, their IQ is declining over time, just as the, as the general population is, except for one group. You want to guess who that group is? Latter-day Saints? It is. And here, here's their theory of why that is happening is that Moonies. in our church. that No, it's not Moonies. <laughs> their theory of why that's happening in our church is that everyone has been encouraged, at least historically, to have more children, including people who happen to be high IQ married to other high IQ people, meaning there's more high IQ babies being born over time and that has a cumulative effect. Um, so the, the push in the past to have a lot of babies has actually resulted in a lot of smart babies who grew up and married other smart babies. And this is found by these researchers. They're not, they're not LDS at all. <laughs> so we're building a big Mormon army of high IQ individuals. <laughs> That kind of sounds terrifying, but yes. <laughs> High IQ, but maybe not necessarily warrior 
<laughs> with warrior strength. Yeah. I should say, um, you know, IQ is only one measure of a person. Um, th- there's nothing morally good about high IQ. People who have low IQ are, are, can be kind, can be moral, can be like really good human beings. And people with high IQ can too. And, and both can also be terrible human beings. High IQ is not um, the ultimate moral goodness. Yeah. Or, or, or even kindness or good humanness, whatever. It's just one measure of, of what Would you even is. say not necessarily competency or... So I- IQ is measured Depends on. in, it's, IQ is made up of three things. Um, your memory, your speed of processing, and your ability to use logic. So anything outside of those, IQ doesn't pick up. It picks up those three things. Some people are really high, like in their mm-hmm. memory, but they don't use logic very well. So they remember stuff, but but their logic is kind of sketchy. And so their score gets dragged down by their poor use of logic. Other people. I think I know a lot of people like that. I think I'm like that sometimes. (laughs) Other people, they might be really fast processors, but they're processing bad information. They just get to an answer quick, but it's the wrong answer. Right. So a, a really high IQ person has to be high in all three areas. It doesn't pick up anything like um, musical intelligence. Spatial. Like a mechanic. Somebody who's. Picks up some spatial stuff. That's part of the like logic piece. Yeah. How, how objects like fit into space. Um, IQ. IQ is really just one measure. Not that much different than height, to be honest. So, but th- but there you go, high high IQ babies, marrying high IQ babies. <laughs> well, let's not take any pride in that, <laughs> right? <laughs> don't don't make don't use that information to be a jerk. Yeah, what that made me think of though is that Pew research, and that's that's kind of a few years old, but the Pew research that said that they went and round and and um, tested Bible knowledge. Hmm. That, that brought that to mind. And Mormons were, atheists scored higher than evangelicals, I think, um, Bible knowledge. But oh, Mormons, Mormons and Jews, I think, were the top two. Oh, interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. There you go. Yeah. How about, how about our next story? You smarty pants. Okay. Can you explain this one to me? Because I'm not a money person. I, oh. I I don't know what's going on here. You tell me. Well, I am not I'm not the most knowledgeable person. I just wanted to bring it up and I my thoughts are, okay, so I guess we should uh, give a background, right? The mm-hmm. church was fined. Actually not the church. Well, the church was fined 1 million because it owns Ensign Peak. Mm-hmm. Ensign Peak, which is a company that has the $100 billion, right? First they mm-hmm. said $10 billion, I think, and now and now they say it's it could be up to $100 billion in assets, in money, essentially, in mm-hmm. uh, businesses. 
investments, investments. And so uh, anyway, but they were recently fined by the SEC because they said you have these holding companies, these shell companies, and you're trying to get out of paying taxes or by doing it that way, by organizing your structure that way. Now, I, I the only experience I can draw on is that I've worked for corporations and I've worked for law firms and and just just personal. Everybody tries to avoid paying taxes. Everybody, right? <laughs> in fact, I was discussing this in a Facebook group just a few days ago. And somebody was being really critical of the church, you know, well, they were dishonest. Why would they do it? And, and, and I just, I asked him and I'm like, well, do you try to pay more taxes than you have to, you know, yeah, Nobody, no one that's does. just what companies do. Mm-hmm. And some people say, you know, the church actually did pretty well just paying a, a, and for the church that has billions of dollars paying a $4 million, I think it was $4 million for Ensign Peak and $1 million for the church. So $5 million mm-hmm. is really nothing. Nothing, you know. But And it's not like they're taking anybody to jail. It was just like, that's what, the, that's what a government organization does. Yep. And I bet, here's the thing, I bet there are a lot of companies that do that. But they, they maybe heard, all the, heard about all the money the church has. Heard of all the money the church has. Maybe they were they were pressured. Yeah, you should go look at this rich church, right? Mm-hmm. And so those are my thoughts. My my only thought, and I'm not a I'm not a money person. I I mean I, don't, I barely understand how any of that works. But my only thought is, you know, there was a time in church history when the church in total didn't even have the amount of money that this fine is like it shows in that sense, like how far things have come. The church was dirt poor for so long. They, they could not imagine a day when a $5 million fine (laughs) could even exist. Like in that regard, I think it's kind of funny and interesting. Um, You know, you, yeah. You got to take your lumps, right? Like you're supposed to do the thing and you didn't do the thing. And so you get fine and you take your lumps and you move on, whatever. Yeah. And to say that the church is so very dishonest, it's like saying, cause have you ever, <laughs> I know a lot of people that have gotten in tax trouble. Mm-hmm. A lot of people. And I made one little mistake on our taxes one year. Now we go to, now we go to tax people because I don't want that to happen again. And we ended up with something that we had to take, you know, we took, it took us years to pay it off. So yep. to, to make it like it's just some, you know, terrible crime I know. is frustrating. Anyway. Yeah. Yep. All right. I'm going to move us on to the Daybell trial. <laughs> this is, um, Chad and Lori Daybell, if you have not watched the Netflix um, show on them, I think it's four episodes, three episodes. You can kind of get caught up on all of the drama there. Um, is that a documentary or is it a re a drama, a dramatic recreation? I don't actually know where the line is anymore between documentary okay. and recreated drama. I think it's presenting itself as a documentary it certainly has its own agenda. Um, 
They, mm-hmm. All right. They're taking they're taking you somewhere. I suppose it is a documentary. It's interesting. I watched it. I was, it's fascinating. So here's the news of what happened with the Daybells this week. So their okay. trial was set to be um, here, actually in Boise in Ada County. Um, it was supposed to be in January, and it got booted forward. Um, and it, part of it is going to get booted forward again. Some DNA evidence came back this week. Um, I don't know what's in in that DNA evidence. Presumably, we won't know until the trial. Um, Chad and Lori have different reactions to receiving that DNA evidence. So Lori has not waived her right to a speedy trial. She still would like to keep her right to a speedy trial. Chad has made a different decision and waived his right to a speedy trial so that some more testing can be done on this DNA evidence. Reading the tea leaves, I don't know what that means. It sounds like it means maybe it's better news for Lori than it is for Chad. <laughs> I don't actually know. But what what the judge has said, because he has waived his right to speedy trial and she has not, um, their trials are now going to be separate. Previously, they were going to be tried okay. together. Now they're going to be tried separate. Lori, um, it, I don't think there is a trial date for her yet, but it will be soon-ish. It was supposed to start April 4 or April 5. They're going to boot it forward a tiny bit, but not much. Um, Chad's will be delayed at least six months, probably more. Trials being held here in Ada County. The crime happened in Rexburg on the other side of Idaho. Um, but, you know, I mean... If you've ever been to Rexburg, that's a pretty small area. So getting a fair jury there is probably not super possible. So they're going to do it here in Boise. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I followed that initially and it was first they were missing. And then when they found him, it was just really awful. But um, yeah. yeah, but my thought is typical lawyering. They will try to always, always delay if they can. Because the longer they delay, if they're guilty, if they think that they're guilty, and they may they might have legitimate reasons, they might be waiting on something, right? But mm-hmm. they will always use all the continuations or the delays that they can. Chad's reason for wanting to delay, like I mean, give them some time to get whatever DNA testing done needs to needs to be done, right? Like let's make it. He's going to have a trial. Let's make it. Let's look at all the evidence. I think most people watching this from the outside already think they know the conclusion of this trial. So it seems sort of silly, but he also has the right to a, to a full and complete trial, right? He has the right to a defense. So yeah. So we'll see what he's got. Um, which leads us to another fascinating case. Um, it's the 20th anniversary of the Elizabeth Smart case. I I love Elizabeth Smart. I I don't know about you. You've worked. You uh, are an expert on uh, that kind of trauma. Well, I mean, as a professional and as in your in your life, and I'm just amazed to see how she's lived her life. Lived a normal. Well, I won't say normal life, but I mean, she has three kids now. A happy what it looks like a happy marriage and she was out there being a victim advocate. Anyway, I just really love her, but yeah, 
Um, so, uh, she, yeah, 20 years. I remember the day she got rescued. I was at work and, but to me, when she, when she disappeared, it was really traumatic because I looked at her and I, I saw myself in a lot of ways, you know, a little Mormon girl who was a musician and it, and I thought there, I, as most, as most usually happens, thought they were going to find her body sometime. Yeah. And so when they found her alive, that was amazing. And I saw those people, Brian David Mitchell and Wanda, because I worked in downtown Salt Lake uh, for a while just before that happened. And I would see them panhandling and just kind of running around. I wasn't really sure. But then one time I took their their literature that they were handing out. And it was this creepy Mormon stuff, taking like Mormon stuff and with like fake prophecies and things like that. And I, I think I even gave him a dollar once because he would just stand there and hold his hand out. Anyway, it was, it, it was, it, it was traumatic, um, but very exciting when they found her. So what about you? You weren't an LDS then. I was not. I was, um, I was living in California. Um, I was working at a Presbyterian church, actually. My son was an infant. Um, I remember being freaked out by that story simply because it happened around the time of so many other high profile cases that happened to women that were terrible. Like you had Lacey Peterson, 2002, so the year before, um, Kristen Smart, um, 2002, also in California, Chandra Levy in California, um, Peterson and Levy are both from the town where Peters or um, Lacey Peterson and Shonda Levy are both from the town where I grew up, Modesto, California. And so both of those felt incredibly like personal to me. Um, and then, you know, I mean, Elizabeth Smart is just cute and, and this, this beautiful, like young girl or whatever. And I think every woman in some ways saw herself. Yeah. So that it was, it was a rough couple years for women right there. But speak, but there was also, do you remember Danielle Van Dam? She was taken, same thing, taken from her bedroom, disappeared from her bedroom. Um, but they, that was a case where they found her body and it was a neighbor guy. But I think she was, I think she was, if she wasn't 14, she was close to 14. The, the John Bonet Ramsey case was, I mean, several years before this, but I think it was still in everybody's like recent memory when that was happening. The, this next one is also, I mean, it's a tiny bit dark, but the news is dark sometime. Um, oh, all the year, time almost, yeah. Well, this year in the Utah Legislative se- uh, Session, there were four bills proposed that would require ban- mandated reporting of sexual abuse for members of the clergy. None of them passed. Um, one of them kind of got further than the other ones did, but none of them actually passed. So it stirred up a lot of conversation around mandated reporting and why in the world would a state ever make an exception to mandated reporting? Um, Mandated reporters are people who, if they have a reasonable suspicion that child abuse is happening, they are required to report it under threat of Um, either criminal action or professional action. So like I'm a mental health therapist. If I suspect sexual abuse and don't report it, they will take my license to practice away. 
right? Like reporting is absolutely required. There are um, 17 states that require clergy to report sexual abuse and the rest, they either don't require it or they, or they, they allow for a loophole. And all of them base that on the idea of uh, nobody's going to confess to something to their, their priest or their minister or their bishop if they know that person has to then immediately call the police on them, um, which, which is, it, to be honest, it is a fair criticism. It changes the relationship of what confession is. Um, it, it, and it's also problematic because clearly like abuse can, could in theory keep going. This, this story has echoes of that AP story out of Bisbee, Arizona. This is not what was happening there. That's the, the, the common um, kind of jab with that story is, oh. Do you think that's what triggered this? I do. Um, and in fact, at least one of the bills, the author of that bill, like cites the, the Bisbee case. Um, the problem with that is that the it's not like the bishops knew exactly what was happening and they were just at home sitting on their hands, not caring that children were being abused. That's not if you read the court documents, that's not how this went down, um, even though certain people in the media have made it seem like that's what it is. And that myth has certainly been spread all over the Internet. Here's the here's the two problems with mandated reporting. Um, just this last year in California, there was an assembly bill, um, AB 2790, broadly supported by LBGTQ groups, um, victims advocacy groups, um, domestic violence groups, human trafficking groups, like all the people who uh, like care about these vulnerable populations populations, the bill was actually to limit mandated reporting in certain situations. And those situations have to do with someone who's seeking medical care because of having been um, abused, harmed, trafficked, something like that. Well, that's a victim privacy thing, right? It is. It is. Yeah. And... um, Mm -hmm. There, there are ways in which a victim might avoid getting medical help if they knew what had happened to them was going to be reported. The idea of like, oh, every victim mm-hmm. wants their, their crime reported is not true. Now, the California bill is talking only about adults, We're not talking about children. It, and that bill actually mm-hmm. did not pass. Um, it got pretty far. I imagine it'll get um, reintroduced in the future, but it did not pass this session. The other problem Mm. with mandated reporting is there's some research that says states that enact it, they get um, get 10 times more reports, but the number of abuse cases actually stays the same. So what that means is your average CPS office now has to sort through 10 times the reports to actually find the kids who are being abused. Which is which is a which is a problem. <laughs> See, that would be my worry. My worry is that um, leaving it to a bishop's judgment, I mm-hmm. would worry that there would be false reporting. Yeah. So all the states that have mandated reporting laws also have a good faith law that goes along with it that says 
if you report something that you believe to actually be abuse, you're not just like making it up to be malicious and you turn out to be Mm -hmm. wrong, you're covered. You're not, that person can't be um, criminally or civilly sued for that. Um, That's not necessarily the same protection that exists in states that don't have mandated reporting. So, I mean, it gets complicated and it changes state to state. Um, I know that I, as a mental health therapist, have had to report things that look like abuse that I don't, I, I did not believe they were actually abuse and said so when I called CPS with a call of like, hey, I'm reporting this because I know that I have to, and that they have to spend the time and the manpower looking through this claim that I've just told them, I am very certain this is not abuse. And it keeps them away from actually getting to the kids who are actually being abused. So that's like, I wish I could Mm -hmm. use my professional judgment to say like, this does not need to be called in, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. That puts my license on the line. Like, so I call stuff in that I know isn't abuse. I worry about, like I said, I worry about false. I worry about false accusations. Maybe Mm -hmm. sometimes people using it. uh, Like Mm -hmm. if there's a divorce, because mm-hmm. that happens. That happens when yeah. one party will accuse the other one of abuse to try yep. to yeah damage them and then their reputation, even their freedom. I used to work with um, like drug and alcohol clients and um, had a we had a number of clients who all came from the same apartment complex that they all lived in. And it was known to kind of be a drug haven or whatever. And the thing I noticed with with these clients we had is they were constantly, they would call CPS on each other just because they're mad at each other. She had her music up too loud till two in the morning. So I'm calling CPS and reporting on her kids, right? And it becomes this vindictive thing. Um, And you can't say, would you all please quit calling CPS because then there might actually be a legitimate time they need to. And now you've just told them not to call, which would be weird. And then they would be putting a bishop in the middle of it. Yeah. For the most part, I don't actually worry about the long-term effects of that. CPS is much more likely to err on the side of we're not going to do anything than we are going to do something. And do you think that's lack of resources or lack of, Lack of resources on their part, lack of evidence. It's lack of evidence. Um, Often, um, so just because of the nature of abuse, whether it's um, sexual or physical abuse, that's a shameful thing. And so people hide it. So it's not like there's evidence of it. That's not always true. Sometimes people make weird videos. Um, So so there's that. But there's also a dynamic with victims it's pretty well documented. A victim will give the story and then take it back. They get scared. Um, They have reasons for giving it. They have reasons for taking it back. And victims will do this a number of times. And often, especially if it's um, a young person, they say some things and then they really, really, really backpedal. And there's no other evidence and they've taken back their claim and CPS isn't going to take kids away from their parents unless there's some pretty good evidence to support it. So I feel for them. That's a, that's a hard job. That's a losing job. It's so difficult 
because we would want, we don't want them taking like, you know, like a teenager gets mad because they got their phone taken away. And so they go and say, well, they've been hitting me, you know, uh, well, I want to go live with so-and-so. One of the families that I worked with a lot, a long time ago, um, at that time, the children, all the children in the family got taken away. It was considered the worst case of child neglect in our state. I, it might still be considered the worst case. It was very, very bad. Um, but kids who've been neglected or abused, typically they still love their parents. Like it's, it's a really complicated relationship. And most of the time, they actually go out of their way to protect their parents. So even though mom or dad is doing this terrible thing, hitting them. They're still mom and dad. Still mom and dad. And the kids still want CPS has a hard job. I I do not envy them. So anyway, mandated reporting for clergy, at least for now in Utah, those are not going to pass. There were four of them. I imagine that something will come up the next legislative season. Um, my 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 own theory on that is often like a bill has to be introduced and it'll fail a couple of times, but it gains momentum. And maybe they'll make little changes too, right? Yeah. So that'll be that'll be an interesting one to watch. Um, our last little bit of news. Here we are, the first weekend in March, meaning general conference is one month away. Can you believe that? We're already practicing for it. <laughs> I was gonna say you can believe that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, according to the our our leadership, it's just down the corner, and we need to hurry and get ready. Yeah, well, it kind of, kind yeah. of is just so, around the corner. It is. It's amazing how quickly it comes. Um, Emily, do you get in on the the temple prediction game? Not Ireland. Our friend Robert, right? I uh, know. Robert Boylan is a, is a scholar. He's an academic. He works at the B.H. Robert Foundation. Robert has long advocated for a temple in Ireland. We'll find out if Robert, ha- the luck of the Irish, helps him out or not. I, I don't think that, I don't think it will. <laughs> if you are interested, there is a website um, run by a guy named Matt Marchnick. Martinick, I don't know how to say his last name. He looks at um, the growth of the church around the world, um, collecting the data that a person who is not employed by the church can collect. So he's looking at um, what are the stakes that like added new wards? What are the areas that added new stakes? What are the areas that seem like growth is happening from a number of different metrics? And his, like his theory mm-hmm. is wherever the church is growing, if there's not a temple, that's the most likely place a temple is going to go. I don't actually know what his his prediction success level is. He has gotten some of them right. A lot of temples still end up becoming super big surprises, right? Like nobody had Modesto, California on their list, but they're getting a temple, right? Um, on, on Matt's list, um, he has... He's got Mongolia, which could be kind of interesting. Uh, Spanish Fork, Utah. Utah didn't get a temple last conference, if I remember correctly. So maybe they'll get one. North Carolina. 
This one, um, Colorado Springs, Colorado, he has had that on his prediction list for at least a couple of years now. Um, I sure would love it if they got one. That would be fantastic. He's got Uganda and Peru, Brazil. Of, of course, Brazil needs more temples, um, Chile, and, and another Brazil. So, we, like, we'll see. Um, my own prediction for temples, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Okay. There's a lot of members up in Coeur d'Alene. Uh, it's a, you know how you know how Idaho's got the skinny part up at top and then it kind of blooms mm-hmm. on the bottom. Coeur d'Alene is way up there in the little skinny part. It's beautiful. Um, they travel to the Spokane Temple right now, I think, for the most part, which is still a, a, a good distance for them. There's a lot of members in Coeur d'Alene. That's my prediction. We'll see. Well, Emily, thank you so much for chatting with me about the news. Well, thank you. It's loads of fun. Always lovely to see you. Um, Our friends who are listening might see you on their television the first weekend of April if they happen to be watching certain church-sponsored programming. You know, I try to also watch for the spiritual meaning of the songs, but mostly I'm looking for you. (laughs) Well, you know, that's nice because some people just think the choir is a bathroom break. I thought it was a snack break. Uh, You know, whatever. (laughs) Now, but it does, they are carefully, the programs are very carefully selected to, um, you know, I think, and I think they're inspired. It wouldn't be that event if that organization was not involved. That's right. Always has been. And if you, for some reason, cannot get enough of listening to me, you can tune into um, Fair Latter-day Saints, um, either through their website or through their YouTube channel. Listen to my Come Follow Me show once a week. We look at New Testament questions that your evangelical friends or family might have based on the text. Um, try, and a- try and answer questions. Those have been super fun. All right. Thank you for tuning in this week in Mormons, where we sit and chat about the news. It has been lovely to spend this time with you and hope you tune in next week more from This Week in Mormons.